Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. My guest today is Dr Keith Watson, who has 30 years experience in primary education, working as a teacher, a leader, a CEO and a teaching school lead. Keith is now a consultant and coach, coaching leaders and their teams on all things teaching and learning, but specialising in challenge for all, which is what we're going to talk about today. So Keith is also the Curriculum Development Director for NACE, which is a charity that looks at cognitively challenging teaching for all learners. And he's even developed his own in-class coaching system called Parrot on the Shoulder. And he's trained hundreds of leaders in this method. Keith has such a wealth of knowledge to share with you. So let's dive straight into the interview. So Keith, welcome to the Teachers Podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Claire. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot today because I don't feel like this is um, something that I know anything about, but I'm I'm ready to listen and ask loads of questions. Um, so you're here today to talk to our listeners about creating a cognitively challenging classroom. What on earth does that mean? I think you probably do know a lot about it, Claire. You just might not have put the labels on it that I'm using today. Um, it's really about thinking hard. It's about challenging our, our, our learners at whatever age to, th- to think hard in the classroom. We do an awful lot in the classroom. And uh, we'll all admit as teachers, sometimes they're doing an awful lot. And are they really learning? And are they being really challenged? And sometimes they're not. So cognitive challenge, it's, it's, it's based upon some research that an organisation called NACE do, which is National Able Child Education. But they don't really just look at more able, they actually look at challenge for all. And their research findings, when they looked at mm-hmm. 20 top schools that they, that they felt really challenged their learners, what were they doing? They were, lots of it came down to forming complex ideas, solving problems, developing thinking. And those sort of higher order skills we talk about, analysis and evaluative skills. Let me put it in simple terms. Grapple. You know when you look at children working and you see that look on their face where they're just, oh, it's hard, but oh, that grapple. Grapple's a lovely word. Look for grapple in your classroom. Okay, well, the Vygotsky, you know, zone of proximal development. It's that thing where it's not impossible, but it's not too easy and comfortable. It's just making children just reach for that challenge in the classroom. So how's that work in terms of questioning, task design and so on? How are we getting that grapple? How are we getting that cognitive challenge? I love that because I think, I mean, this might just be an entrepreneurial point of view, but as an adult, I feel very much like I have to grapple grapple with big problems. Um, So I suppose really what we're just trying to create is that at an earlier stage, aren't we really? Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff on big questions. Some of the schools in it use big questions um, because we tend to often think in lessons and obviously break things into chunks of lessons. But actually, a cognitively challenging classroom is about thinking bigger things, you know, and bigger questions. In, um, and, and the problem solving, I think, is really part of that. And trying where we can make it even more real world and really deal with things um, and, and solve things, or in the classroom it can be solving problems in the classroom, um, that, that makes it realer, the learning. Um, and, yeah, just look for that that yeah. notion of grapple. Yeah, and there is a difference, isn't there? Like you say, making it realer. It's 
there's a reason to do it mm. if it's real. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of it is... Yeah. Uh, okay, so why is it important... Go on, carry well, on. I was going to say, why is it important? Funny enough, absolutely. Professor Rob Cove, Durham, University of Durham, says, he, he says learning happens when people think hard. And we're about learning. Um, and we want our classrooms to be learning environments. And I'll, I'll probably be talking about knowledge quite a bit in a minute, but we could get stuck at the knowledge side. And actually, we're trying to create young people who think and young people who create and young people who apply their skills. And I think that does that. I think there could be a danger in our classrooms with the go stroke Hirsch knowledge based curriculum that we get stuck at just learning stuff that is, you know, stuck in our long term memory. Mm. Great. But are we actually doing anything with them, anything with it? And I think that's really important to come up with tasks that get children to think. Talk a lot about what I call um, low threat, high ceiling. So the notion of tasks challenge for all but the kind of questions that get all children really thinking about their learning. So what does that mean in a primary classroom? Questions like how many, how many legs in the classroom? Everybody can have a go at that, can't they, in their maths? And of course, it's lovely. You watch children doing that and they start going one, two, one, two, one, two. And then suddenly the year threes might realise they could probably use their two times table. But then a few minutes in, they go, what about the chairs? What about the tables? What about the water? And off you go. And then you look at it for the whole school and whatever. So you've got a lovely open-ended task there that really challenges people to think at their level. And they could record that in all kinds of different ways. But a ceiling so high on that, you could end up with an algebraic function of how to solve that. And that's an example of the way in which we get our children to think and apply that nerve. Because they go back to the two times table mm -hmm. and can use that, you know, stuff they've learned before. But actually, are we, are we making the questions and the tasks open-ended enough to really allow for that um, deeper thinking, I'd call it as well? Yeah. And, you know, as, as an employer, these, these are skills that, that we need. Um, you know, when I think about um, when we hire, being able to solve problems without needing to have all the scaffolding there, mm. it's, it's really important. Um, you're obviously talking about maths a lot. Where would we see this in other subjects? Well, it's right the way across. I'm, I'm unbelievably fortunate because I work as a consultant and coach. I go into nursery, I go into sixth form and everything in between. So, you know, it, it, it's an attitude of mind. A lot of it comes back to the questioning um, right the way across um, uh, the curriculum. I think the way we question children is really important in that. I think um, build, we talk a lot, don't we, Annette, at the moment about building schema and links in learning. And I think right the way across the curriculum, if we're reading a text in English, what's this like? What's this similar to? Where have we come across this before? I think the fundamental question stems that teachers can use all the time to extend thinking because the, we, we build up, the children build up these little pockets of knowledge, don't they, in their brain, but we need to help them join that up and build that schema to really understand something in a more complex term. If we're learning about, I don't know, Henry VIII and all the rest of it, in our history, we learn a little bit about religion and the wives and divorce. And, and once we put those bits together, we can understand what was going on, you know, in Tudor England and all the backdrop to it, rather than just individual facts. And we're trying to link those facts together. And that's cognitively challenging. That's thinking hard about those things. And I think as teachers, we're looking to make those links. It's the same in geography in terms of, you know, you're looking at place. But actually that, you know, then you're looking at the features within that place. 
So we're building a schema of why does that river run through that town? Or well, why is there a town there? Because there's a river that runs through it and, and so on. And I think as teachers, it's particularly our questioning that can allow for that cognitively challenge. And if we do that, we make our learners curious. And the curiosity is a key word again. I said grapple, mm. I think curiosity is. Because if our learners are then creating those questions themselves, if they're curious, about, well, why does that river go through all these towns? And what it, that will lead to them questioning. And again, that's higher, I think, higher older thinking. Yeah, and also that continues as an adult then. I'm a very curious adult. I, um, you know, you're talking about the history there. Like we we took our children to Yarvik in the school holidays. And it's, I think, you know, you learn things at school, but you, you relearn it and you learn new things. And you think, hang on a minute, what was first then? Because you forget, you can't remember the order of the kings and queens. But there are experiences where you bring it back in again. And, and I think, for me, it's just really good preparation for being a good adult, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you're talking to a history graduate, so be careful, Claire. You could get flooded with that for whatever, um, for the rest of the time. Um, yeah, I... I oh, yeah, okay, I'm backtracking. I, I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> well, here's a quote for you. History is what evident, the evidence obliges us to believe. Okay, E.H. Carr. And that, it's really interesting in how we teach mm. this because we, if we, we, we've got to be careful. It's not a pub quiz curriculum we want to teach. You need the chronology of history. You need to know roughly the bits and how it might fit together. But actually, once you've got past that, obviously you're looking at the skills involved in history and the evidence that survives. Uh, but again, you go back to those links you're asking about across subjects. So if you're in year five in primary and you're studying ancient Egyptians, you're going to be looking at the gods, aren't you? Well, hang on a minute. In year three, you did ancient Greece and you looked at the gods. So are we linking that back and challenging the pupils to say what's the equivalent god? How is it same? How is it different and whatever? So we're looking for those links. I think we've taught the curriculum fairly well over the years, but I think we're getting better now at that sequence of it because it makes sense to us, but they don't always remember. So us making sure we build upon that knowledge, I think is really important. And that's what the, the uh, you know, getting that cognitively challenging thought does. It's, it's making links sometimes across um, subjects, but also um, within. Um, and it just comes back to that notion, as I say, about um, thinking hard about things. Mm. So why are you so passionate about creating this type of environment or culture in classrooms? Well, old man that I am, I'm still passionate after 30 years, you know, to teach is to touch a life forever. And that's that's what I try to do. And I've been unbelievably fortunate to work with so many teachers and leaders now in doing that. And, you know, the passion doesn't go away from it. Learning's exciting, learning's liberating. Education is the silver bullet. And, and you know, absolutely believe that. Um, what I go into a lot of classrooms where, no, that's unfair. I go into some classrooms where there's, as I said, a lot going on, but really we've got underachievement going on and we're not challenging as much as we could do. Um, I think it's a really interesting question to ask your class, not how hard did they work, how hard did they think? I think it's a fundamental difference. We do that a lot. Look, we, we talk about poor proxies for learning. Oh, look, they're all on task. They've all got their head down. They seem to be working, but are they learning? Teachers, be brave. Ask your class tomorrow. So, okay, give you, get your children to say, right, mark out a 10. How hard did I think? And you'll get some that go two out of 10, too easy. You'll get some go 12 out of 10. My brain hurts. It's going to explode. I can't do it. But over time, linking to self-regulation, they'll get better at that. And you want that feedback from the pupils. Was it about right today? Was it a seven or eight? Or you know, where was I with it? Um, it's really interesting, the word challenge. 
if I do, I, I visit a lot of schools where I do, um, they have something called a challenge award. Schools can work towards a challenge award and I go in and review the school and see if they can uh, be uh, achieve the award. And I interview pupils. Number of pupils that I'll interview and I'll say to them, what does the word challenge mean? Because we use that in class all the time. What does challenge mean? And it's amazing how many children say, the challenge is what you do when you've finished your work. To which I said, well, what have you done for the I other 40 minutes in that. the lesson? Then you twiddled your thumbs. Now they have, and of course the teachers don't mean that. And I'm about in really good schools, but we've ended up with, you know, we have things like the chili challenge, which is nice. One chili, two chili, three chili. I see people do things like the Nando's, you know, um, uh, menu or whatever, and that level of challenge. And that's good. We want that, you know, this different challenge and so on. But we've turned it into a little bit. We do a load of work and then we might be challenged. So actually, can we get that notion of challenge for all? And how are we getting challenged right the way through the lesson? So be brave, be brave teachers. Ask, ask your children that. See what you say, what they say about it. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because I think as teachers, we can think of the word challenge sometimes and even be a little bit scared of that and about what it means. And I think I am somebody who is very curious and questions a lot. And we've even talked about questioning, but... To me, and, and I can't sort of put it into words, it's it's something different than that. It's this understanding of, I think it's more about being curious. It's about helping children to be more curious, um, which we can do in, in all sorts of subjects. It doesn't necessarily have to be maths. I remember doing that a lot, actually, especially on supply, because I didn't feel very constricted by exactly what I had to do that day. But I was like, oh, look, you know, something came into it. Let's Let's talk about that. Um, so that is interesting. Just, just building this, being curious yourself as, as a teacher, I guess, and sharing that passion. Yeah, absolutely. And the teacher needs to be, you know, evolving all the time, finding new things all the time and, uh, looking for new ways of doing things and discovering things. It's like uh, Google maps and things like that, you know, and when they come along, Oh, what can we do with this? It was a new resource that could be used really creatively in your teaching. So you're looking at that. And you are, you know, part of your role there is 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 that um, awe and wonder that you're trying to create with the children and that excitement about learning and communicate that love for learning that should stay with them um, right um, right the way through their lives. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's an interesting, I, I remember years ago speaking to a year six pupil and I uh, I don't like the word clever. I don't think it quite works because it's, that's, you know, I don't believe ability is fixed and all the rest of it. But I said to him, you know, is it good to be clever? And he, mm. said, and he said, it is in this school. And that was really interesting because what he was saying was he was in a culture where doing well, achieving well, thinking hard was valued. And being a year six pupil, he was a bit nervous going off to year seven. Or if I go to year seven, what, you know, you know, will it be a good thing to show that I really achieve highly and or will how will that be received? He went to a really good school and it was fine. But it, that was just an interesting notion. You're trying to create a climate um, where learning's valued and celebrated. And also, one of the things that we found in research as well was, yeah, that more open outcomes often leads to really the wow moments. We talk about multiple solution pathways. So actually, there's not just one way of doing it. You know, that you're looking for tasks where there's different ways of approaching it, because that way, 
you'll get children to use different skills that they've got across the across the curriculum, um, and they might find another way of doing it. I taught, I go back, I know it's another maths example. I remember t- t- teaching your five maths class where we were looking at, it was basically Pascal's triangle. You've got one dot, then you've got two dots, then you've got three dots, and how many would you have on the 10th line, the 20th line, or whatever? And people can do that again, um, low threat, high ceiling. People can do that just by counting and recording. Some can really get onto algebraically. And one girl in the class, I remember, she just started drawing triangles and she solved it uh, geometrically. And she said, well, there's this many triangles here. There's this many triangles here and add it all up and whatever. Completely different way of solving it. Weird story. Ten years later, I'm traveling to London on a train with my children. My own children were perfectly behaved on the train, honestly. Well, let's ignore that. But uh, but as we're going along, this just going to get off at Waterloo. This this twenty uh, one year old, she looked student, got up and said, uh, "Doctor Watson, it's you, isn't it?" I said, "Yes." She said, "Oh, I'm I'm Harriet." I said, "Oh, I remember you, Harriet." And I said, "What are you doing now?" She said, "I'm in London studying." I said, "What are you studying?" She said, "Architecture." Fascinating, you know. <laughs> Go back to her as a ten year old solving a problem, <laughs> basically, you know, geometrically, and she becomes an architect. If we design tasks that are open enough for multiple solution pathways, people can show their learning in different ways. And I think that is really about trying to create environments um, where there's challenge and cognitive challenge. And I think that's really important because I remember even my own time as a child and I felt very much like I would have wanted to solve it in a way like that, but it was the wrong way to solve it Um, because maybe I didn't want to solve it in the... Uh, you use the word clever, mm-hmm. the most clever mm-hmm. way. And um, I think the word clever is really interesting. So I was just thinking about that in terms of my uh, daughter who's in year one. She is very curious and she will ask these big questions. So what what, what, what does clever really mean? Does it, does it mean to be able to ask these big questions and, and think big things? Or does it mean to be able to remember all your uh, phonics and, um, you know, Wrote, learn those words very quickly because that's not what she's got mm. and, and it's interesting isn't it but that comes over time yeah I think you know again I said I don't believe ability is fixed you know hard work beats talent when t- talent works hard and all the rest of it you know uh, when talent doesn't work hard sorry I think it's really important that we look at what do we mean by that and it's so the classic thing always used to be about David Beckham the question is not how is David Beck is David Beckham intelligent the question is how is David Beckham intelligent? Well, his spatial awareness would be amazing. Mm. Let's 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 put it up today with Kevin De Bruyne or James Ward Prowse or whatever. Now, you know their spatial awareness, their ability to move. That's how they're intelligent and clever. And actually, that's so it, it in so that ability, if you want to call it that, reveals itself in different ways. And that's what we're looking for. And it's important yeah. within the class looking for that and right way, you know, across the curriculum, particularly in a curriculum, as you say, that is knowledge based a lot and is also, you know, in primary can be written based a lot. How many brilliant, you know, students I've taught have been brilliant at science, but the written recording of that might not look it, but their understanding is there. Again, that's poor proxy for learning. They filled out mm-hmm. a nice page neatly with nice handwriting. They must be really good not necessarily true. Um, so I think that's a really important point about looking for how that ability is displayed. But that comes back to in our teaching, providing the opportunity for that. If we're teaching the same way all the time or the outcomes are the same way, you're not going to see that. I've had I've had mm-hmm. children 
um, explain the circuitry system of a body in science through dance. <laughs> because that's how they enter the world, through their brilliant dance or whatever. So you're looking for that. Now, I, I don't mean, I don't want to give the impression here, oh, blimey, you know, all bets are off and you're running around doing whatever you like all the time. Because I just want to go back to that knowledge base is important. Because you need, it's hard to be creative without that knowledge base in the first place. I'm so old that when we, when I first started teaching, we did junk modeling. And junk modeling was give the children a pile of junk and say, make something. And what they made was another pile of junk. Because we didn't teach them to measure or stick or cut or all the skills and knowledge they need to be able to create something. And I think that's important. And as teachers, we need to get that balance right with enough knowledge and skills teach from which they can be creative. My son um, studies at Lambda in London, London Academy of Musical and Dramatic Arts on technical theater. So he designs sound, light, and all of that. And I said to him, creativity, what is, whatever, how does that balance for him? Really interesting because if he's putting on a show, director says to him, I need this, that, and the other with the, with the sound or whatever. He has, he says he has to know, obviously, how those speakers work, how you would wire it, where you would put. So he needs that knowledge base to make it happen. But he then uses that knowledge base creatively to make the sound and, and whatever, you know, how it happens. Yeah. And I think that's really important that we need that. It's the same. We'll go back to history. If you've got a certain amount of knowledge of the chronology and some of the facts, you can put forward an argument about Henry VIII or whatever. So I think we need that balance and it's making sure our learners have enough of that knowledge and skills. And that's the taught bit a lot from us as teachers, but then allowing where we can that application and show the learning in different ways. I think that's important. Yeah, and encouraging, like you said, the, the crossover so that you can use that creatively. Like this all makes complete sense to me because this, this is exactly what I do. I take knowledge, I create it into something my background's in performing arts mm -hmm. as well um i've done lambda exams hey. it's, it's all it, it makes complete sense mm -hmm. to me where you take all of your all of your knowledge every, every day that passes you have more knowledge that then feeds into your creativity mm -hmm. and it's, it's about being able to use that and really pull from everywhere that's that's a key key part of it i feel mm. like pulling from everywhere and linking and making connections so you've already mentioned um that teachers can think about um, whether their class worked hard and ask them. Have you got any other actionable steps that we could move forward on? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is some of term cut away. I did some research um, 15 years ago with um, what was called NAGTI in Warwick University about particularly about high achievers, although it applies to all the classes. You know, we say about knowledge is important. So in a, in a lesson, let's take a lesson, you know, you might have 30 children, you're teaching them, you know, maybe you're in English and you're modeling something, you know, we're going to write some paragraphs and, and so on. And you're talking about what you need in the paragraphs and you're modeling them, modeling the paragraph. And eventually maybe they're working on their whiteboards or something. And then eventually they're going to go off and write the paragraphs. Key question I always ask is this, who do I need here now? I've got 30 children in front of me. I'm showing them maybe modeling how to write these lovely sentences. I've probably got two, four, six already sat there who can already do this very well. But I'm going to make them sit there and listen to me talk and model for 15 minutes. Is that the best use of their time? 
So my research, what, what the research showed was this notion, and I termed it cutaway. So what that means is we might start together as a class, but two or three minutes in, I'm going to cut away, gone, two, three, four of those, all ready to go away and start their independent work because they do not need to see and hear the bit I'm going through because they're already maybe working a year ahead of the level already. So they can work independently. I can then better focus mm. on the rest of the class that I need. Now, I'll still go and lap. I'll go back and check, you know, lap that they're all right. And then when the rest of the class are starting working independently, then I can pull them back and I call them back and it could be two, it could be four, it could be six, doesn't matter. Right, guys, have we got on with our writing? We've done this right, and now I want to push you on to that. And it works at the end of the lesson as well. We like to review our learning. How well have we done our learning? Let's look at what we've achieved today and all of that. Teacher, ask yourself, who do I need here now? Are those four better on carrying on for another five minutes writing while we review the learning? So that's called the cutaway approach, and I think it's useful to think about in terms of if I'm doing direct instruction at the start of a lesson, if I'm going through reactivating prior knowledge, which I need to usually in a lesson, brilliant. But do all of the children in my class need to have that at the same time? Often, yes. But I believe there'll be plenty of lessons where actually you'd cut those away and get them working earlier. And you'll be developing their independence even more as well, which is an absolutely key skill. Um, so I think that's mm -hmm. fundamental to that and that's cognitively challenged as well they go away they could be doing the same task as the rest of the class or maybe they're doing something slightly different that's putting more demand on them cognitively which we want as well so that's something i definitely use um called the cutaway yeah yeah i like that idea um and i think as well it'll keep them more engaged won't it because you can be in the class and you can you can listen and think i already know this and then you probably don't do as well because you're bored by the time mm. it gets to doing the work. Mm. So yeah. that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I love that. Super. Right. So where can we find out more about you? Um, where, where do you hang out? Uh, well, I, my website is keithwatsoncoaching.com. Um, I'm also a trained personal development coach. So I work in that area as well as education. Um, uh, but on Twitter, Keith, oh, Keith... We should have talked about that. That's my favorite oh, thing. Well, yeah. Um, well, actually, it's interesting now how much of my consultancy work in education is is co it's coaching based, you know, and the way I work with people is is, is very much coach head teachers, mm -hmm. senior leaders and teams and all the rest of it. But actually, just my approach to training uh, is very much coaching based as well. Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter, Keith Watson one on Twitter, capital K, capital um, W on LinkedIn as well. Um and uh, and my um, yeah, if you go on my website, the uh, email address is there if, if people um, want to want to get in contact. Um, and uh, yeah, but I'd love to hear from people; it'd be great. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I feel like I've learned a lot, and like now I want to finish this so I can talk to you about personal development. Yeah, <laughs> maybe another time. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.